is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. We continue in our series called Walking with Christ through the Gospel of Mark. If you've been with us, you will know that we've already covered the first 10 chapters of the Gospel of Mark. We come today to Mark 11. And if you're new to the Bible and new to the broadcast, let me help you find the Gospel of Mark if you're using a Bible. Uh, Basically, it's in the New Testament, which is the last half of the Bible, roughly. Find the Gospel of Matthew, and the very next book will be the Gospel of Mark. And you're there. And then follow the chapter headings like Mark 1, Mark 2, and so on, and find Mark chapter 11. We're talking today about what we often call the Passion Week, the week of suffering for our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you think about it, Mark only has 16 chapters, and the Holy Spirit inspired Mark when he wrote the Gospel of Mark to spend six of those chapters on the the week of the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and then the time that remained after that until he ascended back to heaven to be seated on the right hand of the Father, waiting to be sent back to inherit the kingdom that he is going to establish upon this earth. But out of Mark 16 chapters, six of them concentrate on this very important time in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm glad that he does because we can understand everything our king did that we might be saved. I'm calling this today, this is your king. Let's go to Mark chapter 11. And as we begin to read that in a moment, I want you to have a little bit of a context. Those of you who are very versed and skilled in the Bible, maybe you've grown up in church, you've heard Sunday school lessons, you've read your Bible, you've heard preachers teach on this. Remember the story of Jesus Christ raising Lazarus from the dead, literally. This stupendous, amazing miracle of God where Jesus Christ raised a man from the dead who had already been dead four days, already been buried, and He raised him from the dead. This miracle was witnessed by crowds of people, and it occurred only a mile and a half from the city of Jerusalem, a mile and a half from the religious leaders and the temple and all that was going on there. Jesus Christ showed that he was God, and they missed it. In fact, when they heard about it, they rejected it. The religious leaders did. So that amazing event has just occurred a few days before what we're going to read right now. Let's go to Mark chapter 11. This is your king. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples. So before we see what he's sending them to do, these were two little villages, very small villages, a mile and a half, Bethany and Bethphage, about a mile from the 
walls of Jerusalem, but they were hidden by a little ridge, so they were very secluded. But Jesus goes there, and he sends out two, uh, two of his disciples, and he has a mission for them. Verse 2, And saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye do this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way, and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. Well, let's stop right there before we find out what's going to happen with this, this colt, this little donkey. The Lord was giving Jerusalem and, and his chosen people, the Jewish people, a clear-cut, unmistakable, unmissable opportunity to see who Jesus Christ really is. And let me show that to you. You don't have to turn to these passages. You can if you want, but I've, I've already got a mark. That's why I'm doing this so quickly. Back in the Old Testament, there's an Old Testament prophet who wrote a book called Zechariah. And in the book of Zechariah, there was a prophecy made telling the Jewish people how they would know. They were given a sign that they could know that a certain one was, in fact, their Messiah, their king, their deliverer. In Zechariah 9.9, the Lord told them centuries before, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, that is, a, you know, a donkey, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. This was the sign God, God wrote down for them, and they knew this verse. They said, when you see this happen, this will be your king, your Messiah. And so they, they had the sign that they would know this is our king, but they missed it. In Daniel, another Old Testament prophet, God also not only gave them the exact um, sign that is in Zechariah that this king would come riding upon this donkey. Wow, what a sign. But in, in Daniel, they were given the exact day that Jesus Christ would do this. In Daniel 9, and we go to verses 25 and 26, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. And those are weeks of years. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. After threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, that is, killed, 
but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood unto the end of the war, desolations, and unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. What I want you to concentrate on is that these weeks of years, God helped the Jewish people, and they knew about this, especially the religious leaders. They knew all about what I'm reading. And they were able to calculate, they should have been, right down to the day that their king would present himself as the rightful Messiah and king. So God gave his people, written in his word through the prophets, the exact sign he would come riding on the donkey, right? And the exact day that this would happen and the exact praise that he would receive when this occurred. Over in the book of Psalms, I'm sure you've heard of Psalms, Psalms 118 and in verses 25 and 26, save now. And by the way, this, this word here in Hebrew is, is the same word as Hosanna. Remember that. We'll see that in a minute. Savior, the one who saves. Verse 25, save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. So it's prophesied here that when this king, this Messiah, this Savior of the Jewish people, and in fact, from the book of Isaiah, we know that he is, for all who trust him, the Savior of the entire world, if the world will trust him. So we see that they were told that he would come with an exact sign on an exact day, and he would be given exact praise, that is, with the use of the word, Hosanna. All right, now keep that in mind. Now, by the way, I don't want to lose this part either, but back here in, in Mark... Mark chapter 11, I want to show you something. Have you ever heard a ignorant, uh, well-meaning but ignorant person, either an agnostic, they're not sure there's a God, or an atheist who's absolutely sure there's no God? How arrogant, right? But anyway, have you ever heard someone like that say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God? That's not true. I'm going to give you one of many examples of that. Remember when they went into Bethphage to find this cult tied up, right? He says, if anybody says, hey, what are you doing? Just tell them the Lord has need of him, speaking of himself. This is the same, same word that's used for Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Lord God. God is the Lord, right? I mean, it's that idea, and the, the point I'm trying to make is he claimed, I am God. Tell him God needs to use this little donkey for today. And you know what? They let him go. Wow, amazing. So God had made it so clear. Jesus, a few days earlier, had raised this man, Lazarus, who'd been dead four days, dead. He was absolutely dead, and Jesus raised him a mile and a half from Jerusalem. He rides into Jerusalem on that donkey, the exact sign. He comes in on the exact day Daniel had prophesied. 
and he is given the exact praise as we are about to see. So here comes Jesus riding on the donkey, right? So let's see what happens. Verse um, verse 5, And certain of them that stood there said unto them, Why do ye loose in the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way. You know, they were taking their outer cloaks off and, and laying them on the ground as a sign of worship and homage to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so they do this, and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in, a way, in the way. So they were cutting these palm branches and laying them in the way. That's where the phrase Palm Sunday comes from, the Sunday when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. So we see here there's a threefold way to test, hey, who is this? Well, this is your king. This is the one all the prophets pointed to. This is the one that Moses spoke of and wrote of. This is Jesus Christ, your God, your king, your savior and Lord. And they that, verse 9, and they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna. Remember that Psalm 118, verse 25? Save now, Hosanna, same, same word. And, and it cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Wow, how could Jesus have been missed? It's amazing. And yet, even today, with all the signs God has given us, maybe even you are still missing Jesus. You're depending on going to church, reading your Bible, doing good deeds, being a nice person, hoping your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, blah, blah, blah. All that will send you... Uh, to hell if you're not saved. Even the devil knows the Bible. Even the demons believe in God. The devil believes in God. God knows he exists. But the difference is, have you surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he your king, your savior and Lord? Or, or are you missing him like the Jewish people and especially the Jewish religious leaders did. Wow, amazing. I hope not, but if you realize you are right now, turn off the podcast, put it on pause, and cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from your sin and to be your Savior and Lord, and He will come into your life. So let's go to verse uh, 11, and we are going to see God in His own house and he is, he is upset with what he finds going on in his own house, the temple. And we're going to find that he's even rejected in his own house by his own people. Oh, look, listen, let's go to Mark eleven eleven. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things... And now the eventide was come. He went out unto Bethany with the twelve. 
So he takes a good survey of what is going on and what's not going on in his house, the temple in Jerusalem, and he's not happy with what he sees. Now, the nighttime comes, and Jesus, because he he cannot be arrested until the right time, he secretly leaves Jerusalem and goes that mile and a half out to Bethany, and uh, that's where Lazarus and Mary and Martha, his sisters, lived. So he went back, um, I, I would assume, uh, maybe to their house, but I was reading something recently that said that he, he went to Simon the leper's house, and we know he did. So maybe he stayed in one of their houses on this night. Well, I'm not sure which. But anyway, he goes out, so he's not easily arrestable. Does that make sense to you? Because it's not time yet. It will be in a few days, but not tonight. Verse 12, And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of the figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Verse 15. And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. He quotes here Isaiah 56, verse 7. Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. And it's the first part of Isaiah 56, 7 that he quotes right here. So he's in his house. He's not happy with, with what's going on and what's not going on. What's not going on, by and large, is people are not worshiping him. They are not uh, praying as they should. But it had become very much going through the motions and, and virtually a place of merchandise instead of a house of prayer. So he brings that up and says, it sh my house should be, and I'm going to, I don't mean this the wrong way when I use this, but I want this to be memorable for you. I saw a church recently with this name, International House of Prayer, IHOP. Though I don't mean that in a, in a light or a, a wrong way. But the temple should have been an international house of prayer where Gentiles and Jews came to seek the Lord. But it had become, through religion and ritual, with no meaning, a den of thieves. People were just making money off of it. And anybody who did come there to truly worship had to get through all of that in order to actually worship the Lord and to pray. So we're going to see here that he gives instruction. Now, how important is this, by the way? 
this is the week that he's betrayed, tried, crucified, buried, and resurrected. And yet in this week, he takes time to do what I want to call teach us how we, each of us, should be our own international house of prayer where we worship the Lord. And our, and our churches should be as well. And our homes should be. But he gives instruction on this. Because you see, if we are truly saved, with great opportunity comes great responsibility. And our own lives should be more and more characterized by prayer. And that is, we just kind of are always thinking about the Lord and bringing things to Him. It's not that we pray like at a set time every day. That's good. But it's that our, it's like breathing. We just are saying, Lord, help me figure out what to do here. Lord, solve this problem. Lord, thank you for letting me see that beautiful sunset. Lord, help me witness to this person who needs to know you. That's where our life begins to be more and more characterized by prayer. Our own lives should be an international house of prayer because when we're saved, the Lord lives in us and we become the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of the Lord Jesus, the temple of the Father. Does that make sense to you? So if our lives are cluttered with things that get in the way of worshiping Him, seeking Him and fellowshipping with Him and praying to Him, we need to cleanse our own temple. Amen? So that, so that these things are not in our way. But Jesus has, has literally actually run all these folks out of the temple who were making it a den of thieves rather than an international house of prayer where Jews and Gentiles could seek the Lord. So, Jesus cleanses the temple, and, and he quotes, as I mentioned, part the first part of Isaiah 56, 7. And so, let's go again to verse 17. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves? And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. Does that make any sense to you? This is their king. This is our king. We should worship him, not destroy him. But they sought how they might, might destroy him. For they feared him, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. Remember that they all knew he had just raised Lazarus, who hadn't died like a few hours earlier or that day. He had been dead and in the tomb four days. And to the Jewish mind, that was dead. D-E-D. <laughs> dead. And yet Jesus said, not a problem. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out. This was one that they viewed as being too powerful. They should have worshipped him. Instead, they feared him. And they sought how to put him to death. And the people were really listening to what he said. Wouldn't you? Verse 19, And when even was come, he went out of the city. So he goes again. Uh, we assume, back to Bethany. So, one of the things about being an international house of prayer ourselves 
is we have to have faith. And we're about to see a lesson here. Verse 20, And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. I mean, it was dead now. From the roots up, the fig tree was completely dried up. Verse 21, And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, Believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. Now, I'm not going to try to explain that verse in three minutes because it's something that has been taught about, analyzed, and discussed for 2,000 years. What I want you to hear your king saying is I want you to be an international house of prayer, and that requires faith. Faith, even in spite of doubt. Don't doubt, only believe. We've already seen him say that in Mark. Have faith in God. This is such a great principle here that it's, it's almost like radioactive, but in a good way. It is a great opportunity when we have faith in God to see what we pray for come about. But you know what? If you're going to do that and whatever you pray for, God will give, you better be careful what you're praying for. That kind of shapes us up, doesn't it? About praying for just, you know, ourselves and things and we do better and all of that. It's not wrong to bring our needs to God, but prayer cannot be self-centered. It has to be Christ-centered and through Him, other-centered. So it will definitely change what you think is important enough to pray about. Can you see how that works? So it's a great opportunity, but it has great responsibility, like handling something that's radioactive. But this is radioactive in a good way. Well, not only must we have faith if we are to be an international house of prayer ourselves, but we must also not only realize we are forgiven, but because we are forgiven, we extend forgiveness. That is, when others have caused us trouble and heartache and problems, we do not hold it against them. Just as the Father has forgiven us, we forgive them. So that's the other thing, faith and then forgiveness. So let's read in verse 25 in Mark 11. And when you stand praying, forgive if ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Pastor Ed, explain that, explain that. I'm not going to. It says what it says. And that ought to bother you 
that if you're holding something against someone, like a grudge, you need to get over yourself. You need to get humbled down before the Lord and say, Lord, I should go to hell. And why am I holding this over this person? Lord, I forgive them. And as he says in the other gospels, seek to be reconciled to them if you can. But the point here is don't don't be asking God to be forgiving toward you through Christ, and yet you want him to sick them, so to speak, of people that, that you don't like or you have a problem with. You want God to get them. That's, that is completely wrong. So we have to have faith and we have to have forgiveness. And that's how we handle this great opportunity with great responsibility. That's how to properly handle this wonderful radioactivity of prayer in a good way that we have. Verse 27, And they come again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, now remember, this is God in his own house, as he was walking in the temple, there come to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now, every time you see these guys come, it's going to be bad news because they're completely sold out to their religion, and Jesus is in the way of that, so they've got to get rid of him. Chilling. Verse 28, And say unto him, By what authority doest thou these things? And, and who gave thee this authority to do these things? Man, that is a height of arrogance right there. It's like, hey, we run this place. Who do you think you are? Wow. They completely missed that their king came on the exact day with the exact sign and received the exact praise, all predicted already in their prophets. Wow. So they're questioning God. Verse 29. And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will ask of you one question, and answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. So Jesus wisely answers their question with his question. Here's the question, verse 30. The baptism of John, they're talking about John the Baptist now, who's been beheaded. Remember that? Jesus called him the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. And they reasoned with themselves saying, if we shall say from heaven, he will say, why then did ye not believe him? But if we shall say of men, they feared the people, for all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. And they answered and said unto Jesus, We cannot tell. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. Wow. The religious leaders, and I think this is still true today with people wrapped up in religion, rather than a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And that might be you. You may be all wrapped up in routine and ritualism and religion and trying to earn your way to heaven, and you're missing a relationship freely offered to you by Christ. But he answers their ridiculous questioning with a question. And you know, religious people and people who crave power and control more than anything are very calculating. Notice here that they go through these scenarios. Well, if we say this, he's going to say that. But if we say this, he's going to say that. You know, that's just playing a part. It's a role. It's a play actor. It's not real. If you're going to belong to Christ, you've got to get rid of all that. You've got to be real with him. And instead of questioning God, start answering his questions. Amen? But you know, we saw here in Mark 11 that those wrapped up in their religion that didn't have room for God when he showed up, Jesus Christ, they, they were dominated by fear. They feared Christ and wanted to kill him, and they feared the people. So he puts them on the hot seat right here, and it's way too hot for them, and he doesn't play their game. Well, we're going to stop there. I hope today that if you are a Christian already, that you are realizing how awesome a God we serve, that he predicted that Jesus would come. Jesus came into Jerusalem on the exact day with the exact sign and the exact praise that he had given them in advance so that they would not miss God. And we are to be now temples of God, where we are our small, independent houses of prayer, filled with faith and filled with forgiveness, so that we use the great opportunity we've given with great responsibility. Well, we're just kind of stopping in the Passion Week right here, but in our next episode, we'll be back in Mark 12. If you need to be saved today, I'm not going to give you a formula prayer. I'm not going to tell you like certain words to say and, and bam, you're saved. If you need to be saved today, the Holy Spirit of God is bringing conviction on you of your sin and then the many sins you've committed because you are a sinner. And Jesus died on your cross and my cross, paying the full price of our sin. And God accepted that so that when we come to Christ, we are forgiven. If you've never been forgiven I want you today to cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ to save you. And if you're sincere, He will save you and He will come into your life as your Savior and Lord. And I hope today you will do that. Again, thank you for listening. Invite others to listen as well. They can find us at www.dredhill.com podbean.com and remember that doctor part the dr doesn't have a period after it it's just 
www.dredhill.podbean.com. I believe we can still be found on Google Play and Apple iTunes. Thanks for listening. God bless you.